Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. Today on the show as, hey, the Seahawks, we're going to be seeing them on the live stream at Seahawks.com this week, uh, starting up on Wednesday. So exciting to see some Seahawks football on the field streaming live. And here to talk about the 53-man roster projection he posted up on Field Goals recently, as well as some other topics, Alistair Corp joining the show. Welcome back, Alistair. Yeah, thank you for having me back. It's uh, it's always fun to talk to you, especially when there's uh, actual football on the horizon, which seems I know. I, I think the last time we chatted, it was all the way back to the draft. So I, I'm glad we're getting close to football season and, and we can start talking actual football now. Yeah, it's only been nine years between then and now, so it's good <laughs> to actually be able to talk. <laughs> Well, you posted your uh, roster projection 2.0 up on field goals this week, Alistair. I'm curious if if this uh, roster projection, it, when you put 2.0 behind the title, is this more like the field goals comment section 2.0 or Legion of Boom 2.0? Somewhere in between. <laughs> Somewhere in between. Uh, it's uh, it's not as lofty of a comparison as LOB 2.0, but uh, not as much of a dud as the comment section 2.0, I hope. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a few people not so happy about it, but hey, I you know, I've always struggled with coming up for, with subject lines for in the comments section. So, you know, that part of it makes me happy. Yeah, pe- people don't like change, especially uh people who are on the internet, especially don't like change. So, <laughs> uh, hopefully people uh like it and they didn't just tank our entire community. Let's fuck, cross our fingers. We'll, we'll cross our fingers. <laughs> Well, looking at your roster projection, obviously, the starting at the top, Russell Wilson, Geno Smith makes a lot of sense. I, I'm curious, though, when we get into running backs and wide receivers, did, were there any players that you really struggled with uh, as far as making cuts? I know we haven't had a chance to see any of these guys on the field, but you know, you can kind of get a sense of you know the the easy names to leave on there. You know, like Chris Carson, Carlos Hyde, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Philip Dorsett. You know, th- those are the easy names. Were there any that you struggled with having to leave on or take off with with those positions on offense? Yeah, well, the the, the first one that I think of is Nick Bellor, just because uh, people always point it out whenever you leave a fullback off that, of course, they're going to keep a fullback. And I mean, on some level, I'm sure they will keep a fullback, but I don't want to have to keep a fullback because it's just not uh, very entertaining. Um, and at some point you got to stop rostering a fullback. Like Beller played 29 snaps last year, obviously a special team here, but yeah, running backs are pretty simple, especially with, with Rashad Penny going to, to the PUP that things makes things like a lot more simple because, you know, maybe if he's healthy, they don't sign Carlos Hyde, but if he is healthy, like things could get complicated pretty quickly. Cause I don't really know, you know, if, if DJ Dallas suddenly emerges as like a really good passing down back and kind of, can do what Mike Davis did for them two years ago. Maybe all of a sudden Travis Homer, you know, isn't as on steady of the ground as we thought. Then with the receivers, I struggled to put John Ursua on there just, uh, you know, cause I have a personal <laughs> grievance against him now. Uh, <laughs> um, but like, I mean, there is, I guess now it seems like it was a false positive test he had for COVID. So yeah, good news for John Ursua this week. Yeah, so at the time of writing, I you know who the hell knows what's going to happen with anybody who gets um, COVID as far as like lasting effects. Um, so I kind of wondered, you know, maybe this does kind of bother him. But I'm very curious what happens when, uh, or if I should say, if Josh Gordon is re-signed after he's reinstated, because you know it is kind of a crowded group. Maybe they kind of cut David Moore or wave him, sorry, and, and try to re-sign him at a better cost but yeah there's gonna be some interesting juggling to do um because it seems like they're kind of set on adding somebody at receiver so once they do that it'll definitely make for some interesting decisions 
you know, I thought it would be kind of a shrewd move to cut a guy that you said that you were going to pay him at the you know restricted free agent tender. And then they went and did that with Brandon Jackson. So, and, you know, I'm sure they could even possibly bring back Joey Hunt at this point. So, you know, I guess if they're going to do it with those guys, they could easily do it with guys like David Moore and Jacob Hollister, too. Yeah, and especially with the with Moore, what really spoke to me about Moore's restricted free agency was they gave him the original round tender, which for him, so like if a team had presented an offer sheet, uh, Seattle would have got a seventh back if, if somebody signed him and they uh, chose not to match. Whereas Hollister got the second round tender. It's only really a difference of like one million. Mm-hmm. But for me, that more spoke to like, you know, by putting a second round tender on Hollister, like there's not a chance, like in no situation would a team sign him to an offer sheet and risk basically trading a second round pick for Jacob Hollister. Yeah, and um, paying him at the the level it would have taken to pay him. Exactly, yeah. Whereas with Moore, like, it wouldn't be have been unreasonable to see a team sign David Moore to a, like, it wouldn't have been a huge contract, but basically saying, like, you know, we'll we'll throw a seventh round pick at Seattle and we'll get this guy who's who's flashed in certain situations. So them doing that said to me that they're, they're okay losing him if that happens. So, you know, if maybe they sign Josh Gordon and they look at the, the skill sets of the position, they just think, like, we kind of have what David Moore does. We don't need this. Maybe there's a chance that Moore has moved on. I still kind of have a hard time seeing that. And I'm kind of kind of quicker to excuse last season for him. I think that his shoulder injury kind of bothered him uh, a lot more than than we knew. But yeah, so it's going to make interesting decision. But yeah, they seem to be maybe willing to move on from David Moore. So maybe that's the guy who goes. And then also, I don't really think Penny Hart is necessarily on sturdy ground. Um He's a guy who I, I said this last time when I when I did the first roster projection is there are certain players who I'll include partially because I think that they'll make a really good roster push, but also because I want to kind of it's an excuse to say, hey, look out for this person like this person's going to make a roster push. Keep them in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what I'm doing with Penny Hart there as much as thinking he'll make the roster. I also just want to make sure that people are kind of aware of him because he's kind of a part of that mix, in my opinion. Yeah, I, there's probably a lot of people like me who look at it and say that's not even a guy I was even sure was really on this team. Yeah, exactly. And especially when you're kind of leaving out a person like Freddie Swain, who like I you know said, people are the thing about missing preseason, Alistair, is we get to miss out on this Freddie Swain versus John or Sua preseason battle. And I'm, I'm disappointed about this. <laughs> so that's I mean, <laughs> yeah, we, we are missing out, uh, thankfully, on some horrific comparisons that were sure to come. But uh, it was going to be a really fun receiver competition. I thought like I was uh, having a conversation with someone today about Swain where like I don't think that his skill set's going to translate all that well from Florida, but I think he would have done really well against preseason competition. It would have been really fun. I feel like we've missed out on some really fun preseason performers. Hard is the same way that like that's the level of competition that he could dominate against because he's so shifty and he's so dynamic. Uh, so I am kind of sad that we're missing out on it. But yeah, I am not. <laughs> I'm not going to miss the Ursua Swain uh, preseason. Who can be hyped more? Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Now, as a fellow Canadian, how hard was it for you to put Luke Wilson on the cut list uh, behind Disley, Olsen, and Hollister? You know, it's it's kind of like a Marshawn Lynch situation where I had kind of made my piece that he was gone. And then he came back last year. So it was like, oh, now I'm like, you know, it, it, I'm playing with house money now. Um, you know, it was great to see him back. And truth be told, uh, there is not a chance that Will Disley and Greg Olson are both healthy all year long. So in my opinion, like October 17th, Luke Wilson will be re-signed because, you know, it's not like they're going to cut him and he's going to get a job right away. He was kind of on his way out of the NFL uh, last year before he was re-signed by Seattle. He loves it in Seattle. Like he loves how close it is to Vancouver because Canadians love Vancouver, especially those from Southern Ontario. Um, And so, yeah, I think he'll be back. I think he'll get cut, but I think he'll be back because they're going to need him because, yeah, they decided to pair Will Disley with Greg Olson, which 
is was a decision all right that was a ooh. i don't know about that one you don't know about that one i mean i love it on paper i love the idea of both players are you really pairing a 35 year old greg olson with will disley who has had like the two worst injuries a football player can suffer to start his career like that seems i don't know about that that makes me really worried there's a definitely a concern in terms of health right with uh, with both of those players so it uh it, I, I do think there's a risk there but it's also a big upside i think oh absolutely and i mean the upside of like even if they can like it's such a simplistic way to look at it but like if you're even just doubling your chances of getting 16 games out of a disley or olsen level player like that's awesome that's probably like as good of tight end play as as wilson ha- will have gotten since like Zach Miller in, in 2012, which would be great. But yeah, I think you're just really playing a risk that like, you know, mid-October, you're looking at a group that's Hollister, Luke Wilson, and then like Colby Parkinson fresh off the pup list, which is, uh, yeah, I don't know. I hope it goes well. <laughs> I really do. With Parkinson, and you might have to refresh my memory on how it works in terms of the PUP players, but will they have to put him on the initial 53-man roster to be able to have him designated for return later in the season or can he just stay on the pup list and not count against uh, the 53? So say like last year with Ed Dixon, Ed Dixon was supposed to start the year on IR. So they had to keep him on the 53 to start and then they can place him on the IR and then you're eligible to come off with the pup. Like it doesn't even open a upper roster spot. Like they've, they've said Rashad Penny is going on the pup list. He hasn't been placed there yet. Um, But when they do, it won't open up a roster spot, but what that enables you to do is to like, carry through cuts on the pup list and then you're still eligible to come off um, after the first six games so there doesn't need to be any like odd maneuvering there it's with injured reserve guys where you have to carry them through and it's kind of awkward and and weird for uh, for teams to have to do right because that was when we saw geno smith cut from the team uh, initially on the 53-man roster announcement Uh, i i know that was a surprise for all of us but then it was it was one of those moves where then they moved the guy to ir then they brought back geno and everything seemed right again Exactly. And that's where there's so much stuff behind the scenes where like Gino is a veteran. So he like they just are f- totally transparent of like, you know, we're cutting you. We're, we're bringing you back tomorrow. And uh, which we are not always privy to. And then there's the other side of um, like if you're on a roster for week one and you're a veteran, your salary is guaranteed. Um, so then there's things like that where, you know, like they might cut a player, then bring him back because then his his uh, contract isn't guaranteed. Like there's a whole bunch of maneuvering to do, which is why. Uh, 53 man projections are pretty pointless. Uh, yeah. Well, let's talk about it some more. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the offensive line, Dwayne Brown, Jamarco Jones, Brandon Shell, and Cedric Abwehi. I know there's some people that seem to be high on, on Chad Wheeler and even the potential for Wheeler to snag a starting spot ahead of Shell. So that was one I could see kind of being a, a tough call in terms of the tackles. But then, you know, there's so many options at guard and interior with Upati, Haynes, Finney, Posick, Damian Lewis, the rookie, and then Jordan Simmons. I, you know, for me to try and pick a starting right guard out of the bunch, it's, it's a little bit difficult. And I, I think we'll start to get a sense of it throughout the preseason, you know, through the discussions and, and things with the coaches and what we tend to see in some of the scrimmages. So do you have any idea of of where the difficult decisions might be between the uh, offensive line groups? Yeah, you, you made a good point with Wheeler there. And I think that is something they could do where um, like Jones is kind of Jamarco Jones has proved to be able to play tackle and guard. Um, and I'm kind of of the mindset that like 
Jordan Simmons cannot be counted on for anything just because his health is like such a ridiculous question mark yeah. dating back to when he was in like high school. Like it's, I think it's just, it's just a sense like his body is breaking down. That's the reality. So maybe they, they carry Wheeler kind of instead of a Simmons. And then you have Jones who can play both spots. And there is something to that Wheeler confidence because, you know, he was with Mike Solari in New York and he brought him to Seattle. Like he's very clearly a Solari guy. Mm-hmm. And that, that's another crummy part about doing these, these roster projections without training camp. Like in a normal season, we would have had almost two weeks of practices where we're finding out like, okay, so the first team offensive line is these five players. Like we have no idea right now. Yeah, I'm really curious what happens more so on the left side. Like to me, I think Damian Lewis is going to start. Like I just kind of think it's almost cut and dry there just because, well, for one, they don't really have many other options. And also that's just kind of what John Schneider said right after the draft, right. um, which obviously things can change, but it just seemed pretty rare for them to speak so so confidently and so like almost plainly that it was just like this guy is our starting right guard. But I think the Upadi Phil Haynes battle at left guard to be really really interesting. Um, you know, I, this time last year I expected or not this time last year because Haynes was already on the pup list. But before camp, when we kind of thought he was on a track to be healthy for it, I kind of thought he was going to beat out Upadi then. So. Um, if he could kind of hold him off for another year, that would be really impressive for Upati. He's kind of old. But if I think if you're Seattle and Haynes and Lewis can win those two guard spots and you just kind of have those two settled with two really young players who can do everything you want to do on offensive line, you just have to feel so good about it. But yeah, I'm I'm really honestly the player that I'm most worried about is BJ Finney. Yeah. Just because like center is so much uh, like cerebral work like and he's not gonna have any of that time with the four other players no time like communicating with russell under center um it's gonna be really difficult transition that's kind of what worries me like i think everybody's really excited about finney's upside and i think that is real but i think also the concerns of of not having any kind of on-field work all of a sudden you're just thrown in in week one and like grady jared is across from you and and dante fowler is across from you and you're thinking like we haven't made any sort of protection call before so yeah it's gonna be going to be interesting to see what happens and then maybe chance ethan pochich gets traded i just don't really know like our team's going to make many trades right now just because of how weird everything is i don't know yeah so i think there is still stuff to work out on the offensive line but i'm also very confident about it moving into the regular season which is kind of maybe contradicts the two statements but uh yeah that's kind of where i'm at you bring up the idea of Haynes battling you potty. And if that happens and Haynes is in the starting lineup week one, one, it's kind of excited to see, you know, a young offensive line all together. But on the other hand, the only guy returning you have is Dwayne Brown and going into a season with no preseason games uh, worries me for Russell a little bit. Yeah, totally. Uh, I think that is a very big concern. And maybe that is why it could just be you potty. And they're just like, want to just settle a couple veterans in and maybe that even goes back to like the chad wheeler thing where if they know like you know he knows exactly what he needs to do what's expected of him and like we just don't need to worry about it maybe that's a route they go yeah i just think there's so much going into this season that teams are going to have to adjust to that we don't know about yet like i think that we're almost trying to approach it like a normal season when it's like anything but um so maybe it's like something totally random happens that we weren't expecting but uh just kind of got to work off of what we know at the time you know Well, that takes us through the offense. Coming up next, we'll flip over to the defensive side of the football and talk about the position groups there. I think it's a little more cut and dry on the defensive side of the ball, but we will talk about that all coming up next. Joined by Alistair Corp of Field Goals, breaking down his 53-man roster projection going into uh, what will be training camp over these next few weeks. And... 
talking about the defensive side of the football on the defensive line, looking at edge, looking at defensive tackle, not a ton of cuts. I think maybe the surprising one, you look at the names, Brandon Jackson on the cut side, considering they did re-sign him. But when you run down the list of, of guys who are playing on that edge position, Bruce Irvin, Rasheem Green, Daryl Taylor, Benson Mayo, LJ Collier, Alton Robinson, Shaquem Griffin. I, I really don't see a spot for Brandon Jackson. And that's also a position we'd like to see them sign a guy like Everson Griffin or bringing back Jadavian Clowney. Yeah, it is why I thought it was uh, a little comical how upset some people were about Brandon Jackson being re-signed because <laughs> it was like, you know. He's, who who he's are you going to take off? Well, and like, <laughs> and I mean, it's just like, he's a guy who completely knows the system. He's a guy who can play three spots in theory. And it's like, they have a full training camp to go through. Like, I wouldn't really be surprised if they signed two linebackers tomorrow and people are going to be upset about them signing two linebackers. But it's like, you know, there's the realities of you have to practice every day and they only have five linebackers. And one of them is KJ, right? Like you need bodies. That's it's very simple in that regard. But then you're right. As far as signing Clowney, um, that's kind of why in my mind they had, moved on and I was almost pleasantly surprised to see the Everson Griffin and Clay Matthews news last week because uh you know I thought they had just kind of looked at the roster and thought you know that's settled hopefully we get really good seasons out of their young guys and hopefully Bruce Irvin and Benny Mayo can continue to like contribute at a pretty good level um so if or when that signing happens I'm going to be really interested to see how they juggle the numbers maybe it could just be a case of you know Shaquem Griffin can give us special teams and linebacker snaps and LJ Collier can give them snaps inside, but it'll definitely take some juggling. And, and you know, maybe Shaquem Griffin isn't on totally steady ground. I'd be surprised to see him cut, but uh, I mean, he's definitely the guy kind of at the bottom of the roster. But also, you know, like you said, a special teams piece. So that that is kind of the place where I think most people have him penned in at. at defensive tackle, this is, you know, Cedric Lattimore, Brian Monet, Demarcus Christmas. I, I think you could just pick any one of those three guys and say he doesn't make it and nobody's going to be shocked or uh, uh, disappointed. I think this is another spot where you look for them to bring in a veteran at some point here before week one. Yeah, they, they like almost have to. Um, I'm a really big Brian Monet fan, but he's like, <laughs> he is beyond one dimensional. <laughs> like he, he's there to eat up space and nothing else. Uh, Cedric Lattimore is like a pretty fun player to watch. Definitely more dynamic inside, like can actually disrupt, but yeah, the way I figured it is just like they have to sign a guy who's either predominantly a one tech or predominantly a three tech. Whoever they sign, like it'll push out either Lattimore or Monet. That's kind of the way that I'm viewing it. Um, and I hope that it's a guy who can kind of play both spots because, I mean, my love for Al Woods is is well documented. Um, <laughs> they haven't replaced him. He played both spots so well. So hopefully they do. Uh, I'm just I'm not a very big Demarcus Christmas fan, so that's why it's kind of a simple one for me. To- well, it's hard to be a Demarcus Christmas fan when really what have we seen from him? <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it just his stuff at Florida State was kind of, uh, yeah, it was, it was whatever. And, and, his, and he was a six-round like, pick, so it's not it, like you can get super excited about that. Exa- well, uh, <laughs> you, you'd be surprised at how excited people can get about six-round picks. <laughs> See the Freddie Swain-Doug Baldwin comparison this morning. So, <laughs> Oh, okay, well, there, there you go. Yeah, I, I suppose you can. Oh, yeah. <laughs> at linebacker, you have KJ, Bobby Wagner, Jordan Brooks, Cody Barton, Ben Burkirvan, and, you know, moving guys like Bruce Irvin and Shaquem Griffin more to the edge spot than linebacker makes it so you don't really have to cut anybody there. So moving to secondary, you know, I was surprised to see how many names that is in the, the cut list, but also a lot of names that uh, I don't really recognize. I know one of those names was already cut from the team, Kamas Silverend. 
Again, another one of those guys I wasn't even sure was on this team, but uh, Shaquille Griffin, Quentin Dunbar, Trey Flowers, Ugo Amadi, and Nico Thorpe. Nobody's going to be surprised at those names. No, I mean, and this is something that I kind of talked about uh, pre. Like, I don't know when anything has happened anymore, but <laughs> after they signed Dunbar, like, I really liked the way that they had built up the cornerback group because, in my mind, like, having Griffin, Dunbar, and Flowers, you can almost take a risk with that fifth cornerback spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, you know, I love Nico Thorpe with all my heart, but, like, he he's totally a special teamer. So it gives you a chance to, like, maybe you roster a guy who's more developmental and more forward looking. And a lot of these guys are, like, Gavin Heslop's a UDFA who I was a really big fan of. Um, Jason Stanley is, like, an absurdly Seahawk corner back and so they have a lot of like uh really intriguing young guys who totally fit the bill so maybe there is like you know maybe there is a chance that they keep one of those guys over thorpe i had a harder time kind of projecting these young unknowns just because there is no preseason it makes everything difficult but yeah among those names like Lyndon stevens is a guy who is very much like a pure nickel and they brought him back after miami released him like they they had previously lost him to the dolphins off their practice squad dolphins released him they brought him back and he's very much just a pure nickel so maybe there's a chance that he pushes for that job because I think there are still legitimate question marks about um, Ugo Mahdi at corn or at nickel. Um, so maybe that's the direction they go. But yeah, I think there's still a lot to unfold at, at corner. I'm very interested to see how it all shakes out. And another one. Well, and another guy that, uh, and maybe you were just about to bring him up, but J.R. Reed, uh, the player that they get from the San Francisco 49ers. Now I know he's injured, and but he may be one of those guys that you see on the 53-man roster that ultimately they have to convert to an IR spot. Yeah, no, you're you're 100 right there. Um, that's a great point. I had thought about that. So yeah, actually, I would imagine he probably will be carried through. Um, because I I believe when they claimed him, it was a case of like San Francisco was waving him with an injury designation. So if he had gone unclaimed, he was going to revert back to the IR, and I think that's what they wanted to happen. And then he would have just been out for the whole year. So I think if you, if they wave him, like the Niners could just snag him back. So if if they have a long term plan for him, they're going to have to carry him through the 53. That's a great point. This this entire projection is now a void. Sorry. <laughs> well, you know, I was just going to bring it up with this next one when I saw Lano Hill making your cut, and and really that's what ruined it for me, Alistair. <laughs> oh, I don't like. Oh, I feel terrible about it. I've been trying to. Yeah, I yeah I. <laughs> I think like Seahawks fans are more inconsistent about Lano Hill than they are about like Russell Wilson. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But uh, no, when I was listening to John Schneider on on Peter King's podcast talking about the Jamal Adams acquisition, one of the things he had like he pointed out Lano Hill as a guy that they specifically loved and brought up his hip injury as like a basically an excuse for his 2019. You know, I think Pete Carroll previously called him like the best tackler in his entire draft class, uh, and, and Pete's also talked about that hip injury. So I, in my opinion, like I think he's almost like okay, he, I won't say he's locked in. But like, yeah, I think it's, he's, I would be shocked if he didn't make the team just because um, they seem to think really highly of him and uh, kind of are excusing that 2019, which if that's the case, cool, because 2018, especially towards the end of the year, like he was a fairly useful player. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if he can get back to even just being a serviceable backup who can play both spots and also play special teams, like that's a pretty valuable player to have. But yeah, I know that everybody is quite frustrated with him, especially after week 17 last year where he was um one of the worst games ever <laughs> i'll i'll just go ahead and accept that that he can make the team because i'm much happier i'm much happier with the safety group going into week one of the season this year than i was going into the season last year with tedrick thompson on the roster and, and making the starting group and uh with marquise blair on the sideline and now you have the tandem of quandre Diggs and jamal adams yeah it's, <laughs> it's a little bit different than week one last year such a cool safety tandem. I can't wait. Uh, 
Like I would have been excited even like Diggs and McDougal would have been exciting a full season of Diggs, but then you also have like, oh gosh, that's going to be so much fun. That's an absolute blessing. It's yeah, it's awesome. Well, moved on, Alistair. One thing I wanted to talk with you about is this article that ESPN's Bill Barnwell released here on Tuesday, and he picks the four teams that he believes are most likely to lose more games, and the Seattle Seahawks among those four teams. He picks Green Bay and New Orleans. Of course, both those teams went 13-3 and last season, so I guess easy enough to pick teams that won 13 games to maybe take a step back in 2020. Uh, and then maybe the two more wildcard teams of the group with Seattle going 11 and five last year, the Houston Texans going 10 and six, but then losing DeAndre Hopkins. Seattle stands out to me as questionable on this list as far as taking a step back when I think, yes, we've addressed the fact that they haven't really done much to improve the pass rush side, but they've clearly upgraded in the secondary. And then on the offensive side of the ball, it's you, there's questions about the offensive line, but there's always questions about the offensive line. Yeah, I think it was a. It's kind of one of those situations where there's definitely numbers that speak to it, so they almost have to do it. But then there's always the flip side, especially like there's a lot of really smart writers who kind of definitely question the Seahawks for the reasons that are totally valid, but at the same time also acknowledge nothing about the Seahawks are normal or predictable. Um, right. And so I think there is like, it's kind of tough. Like I get where he's coming from, but at the same time, there's a lot where you just kind of shake your head and just like, I think Barnwell predicted they'd go nine and seven. It's just like, do you really think they're going to go nine and seven? No. Like, I think there's going to be more extremely random things. I feel that's the floor. Nine and seven is the floor. If you have some major stars other than Russell Wilson, who are, who get injured for the season. Absolutely. I mean, I think like, and yeah and just like there's things that point out which are totally fair observations but things like you know they beat matt schaub uh in atlanta they beat kyle allen in carolina you know they got to play philly for most of the game without carson Wentz. it's like yeah but if those things didn't happen it's not like they're automatic losses like that's where the way that they're framed and that's what kind of bothers me yeah um, they didn't play drew Brees, and they still lost that game Exactly. Like it all of a sudden, the th- if it doesn't just totally reverse. Like if Carolina has Cam Newton in week 15, it doesn't all of a sudden be like, oh, Seattle loses that game. Like those things still happen. And, and I agree with the it. stuff that you point toward that, that Barnwell points out, you know, the, the plus seven point differential in 2019. Every game was close. You know, we we felt that as Seahawks fans last year, every single week. And the fact that they were in 11 games that were decided by seven or fewer points and they went nine and two. but. You know, another the other teams on this list, I look at the New Orleans Saints. I looked at their record. They were 6-1 and one in 2019 games, but then in 2018, they were 5-1 and one in games of seven or fewer points. So I think some of these teams are just good at playing close games. And I think that's an awesome point. And it's one of those things that it's so hard to kind of discuss because there's some people that analyze football don't don't think that like if you can't assign a value to something then it just doesn't exist i totally disagree with that and i think that's why there's such a huge split as far as Pete carroll being a trash coach or Pete carroll being a really valuable coach because the things that Pete carroll is really good and has remained really good at throughout the past 10 years are like invisible in a way whether that is justify like justifies keeping around or not like that's your own opinion but yeah i think there's totally something to the fact that like 
Pete Carroll, like, and his entire team has this never say die absurd, like awesome mental strength. And then obviously Russell Wilson is Russell Wilson. Like he, <laughs> Russell Wilson could be down like nine scores with one second left. And he thinks he's going to win the game. So I think you're totally right that some teams are just good in close games. And I think everything about the Seahawks organization makes them good in close games. And it's going to make them, yeah, involved right into the end uh, and makes them make them win ridiculous games like the game in san francisco um yeah like there's just something to it we've seen it for a decade now the biggest line that i had the problem with in barnwell's article was and and really the first half of the sentences it, it, it totally resonates with me the fact that pete carroll relies heavily on the run and plays middling football for some or most of the game uh, yes we we see that week to week but then he says before reluctantly letting star quarterback take over and lead Seattle to victory. Is Pete Carroll really reluctant about handing the ball over to, to Russell Wilson to win the game at the end? I don't think so. I think he relishes in that. It's nothing like a, a healthy amount of conjecture in your, in your analysis, right? Yeah. He's just, you see Pete and if he didn't have a big piece of gum in his mouth, his teeth would be gritted right together, grinding the edges next. Like, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I think that, um, it's only just going to get more ridiculous and dramatic. This, uh, this Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll beef that neither knows exists. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know about that one. I think with the, the Seahawks, everybody recognizes the fact that Pete Carroll, he wants to be a run first team, but it's almost as if they don't recognize that, that Pete Carroll and, and Russell Wilson have a relationship in this and that it's not Pete versus Russ. It, it seems like they want there to be a contentious relationship between those two. And I, I don't think there is. No, no, I think they are like incredibly suited for one another because they're both just such like rare competitors and, and have such incredible mental strength. Like they, you know, Russell Wilson's the perfect person to guide a Pete Carroll organization. Pete Carroll's the perfect person, at least culture wise, to kind of be the coach of a Russell Wilson team. Like they are really well suited for one another. But yeah, it's almost gotten to the point where you people want them to have a rift between one another and then also like, Anything good happens, it's Russell Wilson. Anything bad happens, it's Pete Carroll. And it just seems to be that cut and dry. And um, it doesn't make for great analysis all the time, I find. <laughs> well, closing out the show, Alistair, I, I'm a little bit curious where you stand on this because we heard uh, over the weekend Mike Silver reporting that the Seahawks have apparently moved on from Clowney and now that they're looking at Everson Griffin and Clay Matthews. Where, where's your head at in terms of what they ultimately do uh, at that spot? Yeah, I think that they end up signing Everson Griffin, if anybody. Um, I think he just makes a lot more sense for the way the roster is constructed. Um, he kind of allows them to be a little bit more flexible as far as reducing him inside. Whereas Clay Matthews is almost a little too redundant with Bruce Irvin, mm -hmm. um, which like isn't a bad thing. You know, The deeper your pass rush rotation can be, the better. But yeah, it just kind of gets a little tricky if you're going to bring in Clay Matthews. And then I know that you know obviously nobody really wants to see Clay Matthews in a, in a Seahawks uniform. Um, but no, I'd be, I'd be quite excited by Efforts and, Efforts and Griffin. I am also still, uh, I'm just still holding up this slight little clowny hope, even though every single indication we've been given is that everybody's moved on from one another. Just is still a little party you wants to believe. Um, yeah, I'm going to hold on to a little bit of hope. I, I think I want to, but I'm also preparing myself for, I, I'm kind of leaning toward Everson Griffin being a, a pretty good option as well. Totally. And like, honestly, if you're just going to compare the two as pure pass rushers, like I don't think there's going to be a huge drop off. Obviously, there's there's a bunch more that uh, Clowney does. My hope is that 
now facilities can open. Um, so like if Tennessee wanted to bring Clowney in for a physical, they can. So my slight hope is that maybe he goes in for a physical with some team that team offers him, you know, X amount of dollars for 2020. And they bring that to Seattle and say, this is our offer. Can you match it? And they look at it and think, you know, we can pay Everson Griffin, $10 million, or even pay Jibber and Clowney $15 million. Like, okay, let's go clowny. Like, let's just, let's just do that. And so maybe that spurs them into action a little bit, but I think that kind of both parties have moved on, um, which is a bummer. And it's also bizarre because five months ago, you and I were talking on the eve of free agency thinking like, okay, so what team is about to blow Seattle out of the water with an offer for clowny tomorrow? And <laughs> never happened, here, which is, yeah, so weird. But, um, and that's the only weird thing that's happened since then. <laughs> that was it. Not, there, there's been no other weirdness. Status quo. <laughs> Yeah, the, the one thing that I've, I'm just trying to go through in my own mind is what would I be willing to give up to to add Clowney to the defensive line? Like, would I would I be okay if Seattle went as far as cutting a veteran like KJ Wright to make salary cap room and and bring on Clowney? Because you know, we heard Pete Carroll in his last press conference. He was asked, you know, what the quickest way to a starting spot was for rookie Jordan Brooks. And he pointed at the at the weak side linebacker spot that KJ Wright plays, and it kind of got my wheel spinning. Like, okay, could, could could they see him taking over that role right away and freeing up that money to to sign a guy guy like Clowney? And if they did, would I be okay with it? There are a couple things that go into that right thing for me. Um, I think football wise, you have to look at it and say like, absolutely yes. I think they have in in Barton and Brooks two players who could totally fill in for for right and, and not really it would probably miss a little bit of a beat just because they're kind of young players and right. right still really good but like football wise it makes total sense um i'd be kind of surprised if they did it because i think that's a little bit of a dirty thing to do to a guy right now and like yes football is a business and yes teams are absolutely savage but i don't know if they're going to do that to a guy who's their longest tenured player and is like best friends with bobby wagner and and has so much respect there like that's you know, maybe that's a tough thing to do to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think moving him to Sam wouldn't be the worst thing in the world just because, um, and like this was going back to last year, there are reports that like Seattle kind of knew that they were going to have to manage his knee moving forward. And I'd imagine that's even kind of more so in this coming year. Mm. So maybe play him at Sam, like in situations where he's going to be need to be in coverage and kind of be off the line more, you can play him. And then in more pass rush situations or where you want that Sam linebacker on the line of scrimmage, maybe that's when you kind of put Bruce Irvin there or put Shaquem Griffin there where there's a little bit more like edgy than linebacker. And then you can kind of drop KJ's snaps down a little bit and and he can stay fresh. Um, So maybe that's their plan there, but yeah, from a totally football perspective, I think you got to take that clowny right swap. I just don't know if Seattle would do it. Because, yeah, I, I think that sends a pretty bad message, right. to be honest with you. Um, yeah, just this, like, if you're going to cut him in March, sure. In August, like, uh, that just seems unfair. And maybe, like, maybe I'm totally missing it. Uh, but that's kind of my thought on it. One other thing that it got me thinking about is, you know, mo- just moving KJ Wright in different positions. The one, the thing about signing Jamal Adams and it opens up all these different possibilities of different ways they could construct the the defense in terms of, you know, having Marquise Blair, Quandre Diggs, Jamal Adams all in the field at once, you know, whether, you know, how you decide to use your linebackers working in potentially Jordan Brooks and, 
you know, how much, how many snaps a guy like Cody Barton's going to get it. Uh, and then, you know, with Quentin Dunbar now coming back, you know, then you have those three corners between him, Trey Flowers and Shaquille Griffin. They have a lot of different ways that they could go going into the season. Yeah, it's like they have four good linebackers for three spots. They have three cornerbacks for two spots and they have three safeties for two spots. So, yeah, they definitely there's a lot that they can do there. I'm really interested to see kind of what they do, especially in the secondary. But yeah, linebacker is definitely a lot of questions, but it seems like Brooks, it's more likely than not that he's going to going to be a, a day one contributor. So uh, I'm really excited to see. It, I hope that we see what they saw, you know, like mm-hmm. they seem to be really, really high on Brooks. And I know like really smart people. I mean, Maddie Brown is like fallen head over heels for, for Brooks. And I know that he put in a ton of time watching him and I trust his opinion, like absolutely when it comes to, to, to defense. So I'm really excited about him. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if he gets on the field right away, like to see what he is really made of. Cause um, especially in 2019 at Texas tech, we didn't really see the best of him. So yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited to see Jordan Brooks. He seems to be, have been almost forgotten at least by, or maybe by me, but um, yeah, it'll be a fun one to see on the field. Looking forward to week one, Alistair Corp, follow him on Twitter by Alistair Corp. And what do you got coming up on field goals? Uh, just more uh, kind of, positional preview stuff um for the 2020 season and then figuring it out after that uh yeah all of a sudden <laughs> i had to switch my mindset about oh my god the season's coming now to figure <laughs> stuff out so yeah i'll figure that out i'm sure that it we're just kind of get... comes at you once the season starts i feel like there's just going to be news uh, every single day that with camp starting now and the ability for teams to bring guys in i think we're definitely going to get a you know quite a bit more news now than we've kind of been used to here in the last few months exactly there's there's proper football to talk about to preview to think about uh so yeah that's awesome so uh, that's all i asked for um it felt far away at once but uh now it's here so very very grateful for that coming up quick check it all out fieldgoals.com subscribe to this podcast sbnation.com slash nfl podcast we will be back with more news later this week early next week and until then go hawks